The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, let me tell you what we've got on the menu today, who we have on the cafe menu, if you will, actually who's seated around the cafe. We're going to pop in on different tables via the multimedia waves of telephones, Skypes, FaceTime, face-to-face even in some of these interviews. Oh, imagine that, the old-fashioned medium of face-to-face communication. Human energy, oh my, oh my. Coming up on today's Multimedia Cafe, Mark J. Lindquist. He talks about the power of timing and networking and how it's propelled his career, if you will. He's had a fantastic singing career, speaking career. He does a number of different performances, and it's got him on the stage with Brooks and Dunn and Brandy, Rihanna, Magic Johnson, Edward James Almost, former Attorney General Janet Reno, Steve Case with AOL Time Warner, old Ben and Jerry with Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. I tell you, he's shared the stage with some of the most unique some of the most influential, and some of the best in the business. Mark J. Lindquist joins the program here today, as well as Joseph J.B. Bendick. He's with Novitus Organization, and he comments on some of energy's top stories, trends, and issues of 2019. The future of fossil fuels, perception, and the environment is discussed in detail with Joseph J.B. Bendick. Also, Mark Bullock with the Texas Adventure and Survival School. He's branching out to different states. There's probably one coming your way. You never know. Mark Bullock with the Texas Adventure and Survival School. We've got a fantastic program here at the Multimedia Cafe. Nice and tidy menu, ready to go. And you know what? With the Multimedia Cafe, we might have a few surprises along the way, too. You never know who's going to stop by and what we're going to talk about here at the Multimedia Cafe. Mark J. Lindquist, Joseph J.B. Bentick, and Mark Bullock on today's docket. And let's start with Mark J. Lindquist, along with his business partner and manager, Jared Bai. Breath is Limited Motivational Speaking and Entertainment is our company, and uh, we travel all over the country and, and inspire people. We advance ideas. We ignite passion. Um, we give keynote speeches, and that's kind of our, our wheelhouse. You know, our specialty is the opening or closing, non-industry-specific keynote at a conference or, a, you know, a big a national deal. So, Jared and I work uh, together out of Fargo, North Dakota, and travel all over the country. Written a couple books, and our goal is to go out there and inspire people. And now, um, Mark Lindquist, you're the main speaker, is Correct. that right? Okay, Correct. And Jared would be the behind-the-scenes guy, or he's kind yeah. of the guy holding all the, the strings, you know, the puppet master, the guy the, with the, with the brains, you know. <laughs> I'll I'll fancy myself as the looks, and since this is on radio, you can't tell. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely the brains, <laughs> but, but you both sound good looking. Um, <laughs> no, Jared's okay. the business manager, and and he negotiates the contracts, and and uh, deals with all of the. 
analytical stuff. You know? Was this a, a business partnership out of the gate, or was this like where, uh, Mark, did you come to Jared, or Jared, did you come to Mark? or how, how, Genesis, let's start with that. Yeah, you know, actually, we've known each other for 10, 12 years, you know, so it kind of grows out of a friendship and an entrepreneurial spirit. And, um, you know, when I got out of the military, uh, just like a lot of veterans, you're, you're looking for a gig. You're trying to figure out, well, now Uncle Sam's not telling me what to do, uh, what to wear, where to be, how to act. Um, what can we What can we do together? You know, because we always we're kind of we kind of fancy ourselves as like Hewlett and Packard, if you know that story. You know, they they didn't start out making printers and computers. They started out doing whatever whatever came to their mind in their garage. You know, so it didn't matter what they were doing. It was more that the business partnership was the right thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, we run a, a few different companies. Um, and, you know, the motivational speaking for me is, uh, is the main way that I um, you know, impact the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, when, when, when was your first gig? When was your first motivational speaking gig, I guess? We've been doing it professionally for about two years or so. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's kind of funny. When you're uh, young and in high school, I would give speeches at a youth conference. Sure. I would, when the pastor was gone at our local church in Ortonville, Minnesota, I would fill in for him, you know. And I was given given the speeches and and uh, been interested in that, the occasional best man speech, you know. Uh, but then, like I said, after the military, uh, we started doing it professionally, started speaking all over the region, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the word of mouth spreads. And we did 82 keynotes last year. Um, we'll, we'll book for over 75 this year already. We'll probably do about a buck 25 or so. Uh, you know, and for a speaker, that's moving. That is moving. Uh, a lot of guys try to do about 50 a year. Um, I was going to say, most people try to do one a week. Right. right. I mean, that, that's kind of a speaker's goal, right? One a week? Right, I mean, right. In and, a perfect world, I guess, as far as if you're putting your business plan together. Sure, sure. You know, and if it could be that, uh, if you could control it like that, then wouldn't that be great? But hey, when they call, you, you go. And, you know, I'm a single guy. Um, love traveling, love being on the road. Um, no family of my own yet. So it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I can just, uh, Jared can put me on the road and use and abuse me. <laughs> and, uh,. What is it you speak on? You speak on motivation, but just kind of uh, some some bullet points from there. Sure. Uh, there's really three topics. It's passion, leadership, and service. Um, passion being, uh, you know, with the book that we wrote, it's called Passion, Eight Steps to Find Yours. Uh, like I had said, that that, that book now is, um, the sales of that book outpaced the, the sales of 95% of books in America. And so the word is spreading, you know. So I'll go in and give that talk to you know, a billion-dollar company. You know, we just spoke for U.S. Foods. We speak for Sanford. We speak for Essentia, all the big ones here in the Midwest. Uh, Bobcat, uh, another one of them. And we'll reignite the passion inside of somebody's workforce, you know. So if I'm speaking at a sales meeting or a manager's meeting, you know, um, I'm going to, you know, fancy myself as the perfect... Um, Get them all fired up at the beginning of the conference or send them out the door on fire, you know? I call them pep rallies. Cor- yeah. Corporate pep rallies is right. what I call them, yeah. Absolutely, yep. you know, and, and, and just give the, the, your people that jolt that you need to be able to carry on, you know, a third quarter goals or whatever it is. Um, so that's kind of our wheelhouse. Um, but at the same time, about a third of the, what we do is in front of youth, you know, and, and student conferences and school assemblies because, you know, it takes a certain personality or energy to be able to get those young folks to open up and listen to, you know. So, And over the years, I've had some good fortune in the entertainment business, so, so especially the youth kind of latch on to my, uh, my story. I've uh, been seen on Lost in Hawaii Five-0 and in the Universal Studios movie Battleship, uh, performed in 22 countries and 44 states uh, for about a million people all over the globe. So, you know, bringing that as an entertainer first, I think that we're unique when it comes to um, speakers out there on the circuit. 
because we were first, I was first an entertainer. I first knew how mm -hmm. to entertain a crowd and connect with an audience, and now we have great messages to bring behind that. Um, and I think that is unique. Cause and that was Mark J. Lindquist and his business partner manager, Jared Bai. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, all the different social media networks at thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thoughts on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Joseph J.B. Bentick with Novitus Organization. Joseph Bentick with the Novitus Organization. Joseph Bentick with the... I'm sorry, what was the name of the company again? Yeah, so it's uh, Joseph Bentick, but I go by J.B. Bentick. And it's called the Novitus Organization, or TNO for short. Novitus Organization, okay. I, I just call you the social media maestro, so I um, apologize. <laughs> I didn't write down your company name. I just wrote down social media maestro because you're all over the place, especially on LinkedIn. And um, you enjoy the social media, don't you? I, I do, um mainly because I've been a big fan before it became as popular as it is today. So I think I helped break out the energy world within LinkedIn. And so I kind of, you know, give myself a little pat on the back because I was on the forefront of that before it became as, as popular, I think, in the past year or so. Yeah, it's really taken off in the energy world without a doubt. Um, that's funny you say that. I kind of feel like I was the same way with what I'm doing. We've got uh, videos of uh, 2007 doing videos from our studio. We had live bands and studios, and uh, boy, what was it? You watch, I think, was the name. Live stream. That's what it was. Live stream. We were 
headlined on there on a few Saturday nights. I used to do a show called uh, City Guide, Saturday Night City Guide, Saturday Night City Guide. That was the name of it. We have live bands come by and socialites and all kinds of different things. The the show was uh, live on a Saturday night down on the Strip. It was great. It It was a lot of fun. And that was 2007. We had video and all kinds of different stuff. And I laugh because I think, you know, I was a little bit more ahead of myself back then than I am today. Do you feel like that? Like you're, you were further ahead, you know, back when you were first starting out than you are today because, you know, you kind of have to take a step back every now and then to, you know, stay with the mainstream, if you will. Otherwise, you're too far outside the pack. Did I just make any sense? Yes, I've always taken, you know, the approach of what will happen in the future, you know, more of an idealist and innovator in that capacity. I always, you know, believe that staying in the same lane and doing it the way that's always been done is always been the downfall of companies and someone who believes that, you know, the small startup, you know, in someone's garage or in their home should be considered, you know, a possible threat. So it should always be adjusting. And so when technology came out as a platform, I adopted it very, you know, very early. Let's talk about innovation a little bit. Of course, one of the reasons you're, we brought you on the program today, J.B. Joseph Bennett, is that the top stories, the top trends, the top issues of 2019, innovation, of course, without a doubt, is always, at least recently in the past five years, is definitely one of the top 10 stories, trends, and innovations, if not top five. What are some of the innovations that you've seen out there or that you think have created an issue? For example, flaring, of course, is a not only an issue by itself, but a lot of the technologies and innovations that go into flaring. We've seen some amazing you know, strides in that, but at the same time, we've seen some, uh, some work that needs to be done, too, probably more on the bu- bureaucracy side. But talk to me a little bit about some innovations you've seen in the last year. Well, yes, certainly. I appreciate you having me on your show today. With, within, you know, the flaring, there's you know, two sides of it. Number one is going to be the state regulations, state and federal regulations. And with that comes the environmentalists, the climate activism, things of that nature that are trying to force, for lack of better words, people to be more responsible with, with flaring and, and methane, CO2, carbon capture, etc. The other side of it that I take and I try to educate, you know, energy companies on is the fact if you look at the amount of, of actual waste, not so much the environmental impact, but the actual waste of what you can do with that natural gas, especially on power generation. And if you look at it from go a little more deeper, if you look at, and take the position of a landowner or a rights owner and imagine of all of a sudden you're driving past your leasehold where you have an interest and you see them flaring and it's literally burning money. And so if you take and look at both both those those, those sides, the, the environmental impact and the waste impact of it, the innovation that's taken off has really – it's there, but it hasn't been adopted or accepted. And I believe that's probably most likely because it's new. And nobody in the oil field wants to you know, raise their hand to be the first to adopt new technologies. But when they do work, they will surely stand up, as I always tell everybody, and claim that was their idea. So it goes down to being able to educate the oil service companies and the operators on the true benefits of technology, especially with within you know in gas generation, you know turbine machinery, and being able to to literally save the environment and also save dollars. 
You mentioned mineral rights and the flaring and the waste, and, and that's something I've brought up in the past on this program for years. We've had kerfuffles happening with mineral rights as far as ownership, who owns them, this and that. Um, flooding of lands creates kerfuffles and, and arguments. The one thing that I've mentioned before, and I, I'd love to get your opinion on this, is, okay, subsidies one of the dirty words in energy and one of the dirty words with capitalism and everything else, but they exist. I mean, there's probably more subsidies than non-subsidies in the world today. I mean, I, I, I guarantee you, if you took a look at the top, I don't know, 200 companies, 500 companies in the United States, I bet they get some sort of tax breaks or subsidies. And a lot of people nowadays put it right into their balance sheet and profit and loss in terms of it, if without them, their companies don't work. So when you look at subsidies and what the solar and wind industry has gotten in the last 40 years, 50 years, and really how much they've ramped up in the last 20 years, if we took a look at those subsidies just in solar and wind and said, okay, you haven't reached your milestones. So instead of giving you more money to not reach milestones, what if we took half of that and gave it to natural gas? Because we have all this flaring going on and nobody likes the flaring. And now the natural gas subsidy there would go to these crazy innovators who are away from their family, sleeping on well sites, checking gauges and making liquefied natural gas, all these different things. But the other part of it that I really enjoy is what you mentioned, the mineral rights. A lot of times, in most cases, from my understanding, the mineral owners are not getting paid on the flared gas. I think they might in some counties, but for the most part, they're not. If it was subsidized, then all of a sudden you'd almost be given a local economic impact to a lot of these mineral owners. And, and then the local cafes would get some money, et cetera. And the hardware hanks of the world, if you will. So I don't know. Uh, I just kind of really loaded up a big question there for you. But it's more of a discussion, you know, of, of the shifting of some renewable to natural gas, because keep in mind, natural gas only has one carbon molecule. It's very clean energy. And um, the mineral owners and everything else, just your thoughts on on the mineral rights when flaring, not receiving their, their subsidies if it's flared, and, the, and then the um, subsidies in terms of shifting it from renewables, if you followed my, my, my rambles there at all. <laughs> no, I, 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 start, I certainly did. Yeah, you know what's going to be an interesting topic coming here, uh, you know, with the presidential elections heading into uh, you know this upcoming new decade, twenty twenty, and the media hasn't really picked up on it yet, but I believe they will. Is the renewing of the tax credits on the federal level for solar energy? There is a substantial percentage of money that is given as a tax credit if you implement solar panels uh, commercially and residentially, and that you know underwriting by the government has completely blown up the solar you know solar panel industry i'll just keep it as that and in about two years i believe it's two years um it, it, unless it's renewed by congress it's going to expire and i'm curious to see exactly if it's going to be sustainable pun intended where these companies can survive without that government subsidy that encourages investors because they know that they basically have a guaranteed you know capital return because they're going to get money from the government for implementing it. And I would be very interested to see if that's going to be renewed or if it's going to be a hot topic during the presidential election because it's going to put Trump against a crucial issue as far as subsidies, energy, 
natural gas, solar. And so I, on the subsidy side, I would really focus in and, and, and look at look at that and look at how that's impacted and possibly even you know, inflated the demand side of solar. Mr. Joseph Bendick, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We return, we'll continue the conversation with Joseph J.B. Bendick with Novitus Organization about some of energy's top stories and trends and issues of 2019. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we're going to continue the conversation with Joseph J.B. Bendick with Novitus Organization about some of energy's top stories, trends, and issues of 2019. To spin us back onto the natural gas side and how you can, you know, lack of a better word, subsidize the natural gas industry, I believe not so much subsidies as the ability on the power generation side where you can actually microgrid, especially here in the Permian, where people can be self-contained power generation on their, on their facilities, on their EFRAC, eventually on the E-drill, and not actually have to run out a lot of power lines from Encore and pay an electric bill. They can be self-contained powering themselves. And then eventually, especially here in Texas, if they build these microgrids off of natural gas, any excess power could then be sold back into the ERCOT system. And so I think there could be a very a very great opportunity on power generation where you could actually incentivize power-producing companies to use natural gas-generated power. Another topic that was brought up was pipelines as critical infrastructure, whether it's natural gas or crude oil pipelines. Uh, it is critical infrastructure according to many government agencies and laws and things like that, but they don't enforce it. They don't necessarily treat it as such. Protests are increasing. Um, protesters are, it's an occupation now. It's no longer a lifestyle 
uh, a passion. It's just a um, career passion, I guess, or a job passion because majority of the protesters get paid these days, at least the ones in leadership positions do. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts about pipelines. Pipelines as critical infrastructure. Just had the Keystone pipeline spill the other day. Uh, so obviously that's going to be some major ammunition for environmentalists, and it's a little bit of a PR setback for the uh, oil and gas industry. Uh, pipelines, how, how do you see pipelines in the past year and in 2020? One of the most, I think, sometimes unrecognized, unappreciated individual in the oil and gas industry are pipeliners. The amount of sacrifice that they make going out and laying piping throughout the continental United States is is, is amazing. And I think the media in a narrative that they control when you have one spill out of the you know tens of thousands of pipe that's in the in, in the ground, the mile the, the miles upon miles of it, it's a very small fraction of, of the whole. And they focus in on that. And I think it's an undue um it's it, it, it gets me upset because they focus in on that one little small incident and don't look at the whole picture of all of the, the greatness that pipeliners and, and infrastructure and streamers provide to to our country and, and to and to the you know oil and gas service companies getting the product to market. Um, heading into 2020, especially here in the Permian, I believe depending upon capital budgets that are going to be restarting to reset end of this year into the you know first quarter you know January February of next year. Is going to determine the the amount of money that some of these operators have to do new drills and be able to keep production steady or slightly increased. The amount of backlog on the pipeline side is plentiful, and so those projects that have been you know fit out, you know, final investment decision are going to be going into you know being processed out. I think if we don't see an uptick in some production that possibly some of these projects on the, on the pipeline side will be temporarily put on hold or scaled back because of the amount of, of line that's finally going to be coming online. Um, you know, the pipeline always tries to stay ahead of the demand. It, it, it's just, it's so hard to pinpoint it because any step back from the CapEx on an operator side to, you know, pull back on production is ultimately going to affect the amount of product that's moved in the pipelines. It's just, so it's, it's, I think going into 2020, you probably will see a small pullback on the infrastructure side or more hesitation because the, there's not a clarity in the market as to what production is going to be heading into you know the second quarter, uh, midpoint of 2020 with all of the current um, supply that's in the market and also the the companies you know, pulling back you know 20, 30 percent of their capex uh, heading into 2020. Those headwinds I think are going to put a little bit downward pressure on the midstream companies. One of the comments that William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group said earlier in the year, which I think is a very, uh, it's it's a reality. I think it was here last year, but I think it's uh, the reality uh, when it comes to, you know, pipelines being delayed and refineries. A lot of it has to do with the well orchestration of the litigation that a lot of the um, activists and opponents have to pipelines and et cetera. I think the the pullback, I think part of it's going to be litigation. Have you noticed an uptick in, in people talking about how much time they're spending in court and attorney's fees? And, geez, we might as well bring a guy on full-time as legal counsel in our small little 
person organization because the numbers would be better. Are you hearing much on the legal side? I mean, like I said, I've heard a few people actually refer to it as the new normal. Just you, you have to do a year of litigation before you can break a shovel now. It's interesting that you say that just because recently in the media has picked up, uh, I believe it's, you know, kind, I think it's a Kinder Morgan pipeline, I, I, I believe, um, that's running through the, the Austin area. And it caused a lot of uproar. Um, and so now it's pushed back, I believe, a year now uh, because of, you know, lawsuits being filed, litigation. And I'm sure a lot of these companies are, are you know, are used to, you know, to fighting that. And thankfully, over the past couple of years, the um, regulatory bodies, especially on, on the federal level, FERC, have been um, more transparent, open to expedite permits and, and legalities compared to previous, you know, previous um, administrations. So that has helped tremendously. But I think going back to the, you know, this pipeline as an example, going through Austin, I sit back and I, I kind of, you know put my head against the wall uh, because I wonder who on the right-of-way side or on the design side decided to run a pipeline through one of the most hot, you know, more hostile areas to oil and gas being that of the, you know, the Austin area. And I think, you know, the, the, the lawsuit part of it is, is a tactic to stall through litigation and, and starvation financially. But I think it goes down to we as a community have to communicate better to the public on exactly what goes on in the pipeline process and on the midstream and on the downstream side of it. Because I, I truly believe it's such, we in the oil and gas industry know each other. It's, it's a big brotherhood, a big sisterhood of, of people. And sometimes we can become bubble-like where we, we just pile around each other and we really don't do a good job communicating to the public exactly what we what we do in the industry, the regulations that are already in, in, in place, the amount of legalities that have to be done, and how after pipeline is laid, the community the community effects of that pipeline and the restoration and remediation of the area is tremendous. And that was Joseph J.B. Bendick with Navidus Organization. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. All of those social media links can be found at thecrudelife.com, even the YouTubes. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 
Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Mark Bullock with the Texas Adventure and Survival School. Mark Bullock, Texas Adventure and Survival School. Thank you for joining the program here today. Mark Bullock, one of our oil and gas experts, has a side venture that's doing pretty darn well to where we decided to bring them on to let you oil and gas folks and you know what you don't even have to be in the oil and gas world to enjoy this because we're going to talk about survival and the new texas adventure and survival school mark bullock how are you doing today not too bad jason how are you hey not too bad now i i saw this on uh linkedin and I thought we got to get you on the program to talk about this because, you know, we've done fishing and hunting and all kinds of, you know, outdoorsy type things because our, our audience, primarily oil and gas, let's be honest, between our radio stations that are in oil and gas communities and our, our social media and the crude life, that sort of thing. It's obviously got the oil and gas following. So uh, I thought this would be something right up their alley. And um Let's talk a little bit about the Texas Adventure and Survival School. Tell me about the school. So, yeah, I recently formed the school um, primarily because in my spare time I was offering, uh, well, people were asking me to give survival lessons or bushcraft courses or just generally instruct them in outdoor activities on how to be safe and, you know, in, enjoy themselves. Um, because my background before the oil and gas industry was in the British Army. Um, I'm a certified survival instructor I something that i enjoy with a passion is being outdoors and i thought you know it's coming to a point now where more and more people are asking for it i'm just gonna set up a adventure to basically cover that um because again there's a lot of courses out there in america um i've been on several myself just to see exactly what they do and to be quite safe some courses sadly do fall short of the realistic aims of what survival really is and you know it doesn't distinguish between bushcraft and survival because they're they're two separate entities and people don't understand that so that's you know why i've you know launched the texas adventure and survival school is to give a new perspective on how things are done and how things should be done how much of it is adventure and how much of it is survival or is the survival part of the adventure yeah, it's interchangeable. Um, you know, we, we on the survival side, we, we run three courses, a basic, intermediate, and expert. Um, it's, you know, a, a, it's designed to be a progression through the three phases. Um, the basic course is two days long. Uh, it's $175. It's based out of Texas, but we can go to other areas of the United States if there's um, ample numbers. Um, obviously, it will be a little bit more than $175. Um, but that basically focuses on teaching the very basic skills for outdoors, such as map reading, in a sense of um, not only how to look at the map, but how to orientate it to the ground, how to use a compass correctly, um, how to use that compass to your advantage with a map, 
um, how to do something called azimuth or bearings, whichever part of the world you're in, it's the same thing. Um, we then teach, you know, what type of gear to be carrying with you. Again, a lot of people already say, well, I, I already know that, but when you actually sit down and you look at my equipment compared to theirs, there's a big difference because I carry one item of one thing, but it's got 75 uses where I've seen hunters carry three items of the same thing that have got the same uses as my one item. Um, you know, and then we then give a basic shouter building lesson and follow on on how to cook, how to prepare fires, you know, just generally general basic stuff. Um, the intermediate course is building upon the skills we've taught in the basic course and refining a few other skills such as animal trapping, um, skinning, um, how to use all parts of the animal for various parts of the, you know, the living process. And then the expert course is a one-day refresher followed by four days in a scenario-based survival setting where you're, in a sense, surviving with what you've got. And you can then see the benefit of your training. How long are these courses? Again, as I say, the basic course is two days. The intermediate course is three days, where the um, expert course is five days. So all in all, it's um, a nine-day total cycle if you wanted to do it all in one go. Okay, and let's say somebody was going to you know, do this. What would they expect for the first, you know, uh, I guess, just the process? You know, they, they would go online and... And do this, and yep. then, and you're having them in Texas, and you're going to other areas, or yeah, as I say, we, we've got a, um, a website where they can book the courses on. Our fact, our next course is in Huntsville, Texas, over the weekend of the 22nd to the 24th of November. Um, it's a two-day uh, course which will focus on literally the basics of map of land navigation or mapping compass, uh, shelter building, fire building, how to set fires. Um, how to control those fires correctly so they don't cause, you know, fate, you know, get out of control. Um, and then we'd also add a few of the little things in there for kit and equipment, um, how to correctly carry that equipment, kit and equipment, and stuff like that. That's the basic course. Is this anything that uh, requires people to go and, you know, kill their own food to eat it, or do you provide food, or how does that work? Uh, well, on the basic course, we basically allow them to bring their own food. Um, and then we show them, you know, we give recommendations and we don't actually allow people to capture and kill and eat their own food until the um, intermediate phase because it's not as simple as just going out and setting a trap. Um, there, there's a lot of mechanisms you have to do in order to get because that trap I mean, has to be there for a couple of days. So we tend to set traps on the intermediate course so the animals get used to them. And then by the time the course comes around, they're in full use. So then we you know, send the students out to retrieve their own food, skin it, gut it, quarter it up, and cook it and eat it. So for those people who probably aren't familiar with the word, you know, bush or bushcraft, what what would technically make something bushcraft? So bushcraft is basically defined as living in the wilderness in a prepared setting, such as in a log cabin off the grid, um, you know, just generally having skills to live in the woods. And that was Mark Bullock with the Texas Adventure and Survival School. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. 
The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter, even the YouTubes. All the social media links are available at thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. That's going to do it for today's Multimedia Cafe. I'd like to thank Mark J. Lindquist, Joseph J.B. Bendick, and Mark Bullock for stopping by the Multimedia Cafe. Never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about, but you can find all of our interviews, exclusive interviews and conversations at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. We'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. And for those of you streaming us on the Internet or maybe you've downloaded one of our many podcast platforms, thank you very much for choosing the Multimedia Cafe as part of your weekly content. From the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com.